headed towards the book of Obadiah. We're actually going to be in it. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Obadiah. We're actually going to cover... Obadiah is 21 verses, Dana. 21 verses, okay? We're going to cover nine of those. Okay, we're going to like cover half the book. Took us a while to get there. If you have the chart there, uh, man, fold this up. Keep it handy. Read through the sh- this short book and have this chart out. Now, if you want a simple chart... You just Google Obadiah chart, and there's tons of real simple, real simple charts, and those serve a purpose. I try to create one that shows the argument of the book, shows repeated themes of the book, and really will help you master that book. And so uh, keep that there, and we're going to be covering the first major section. It has three sections. We're going to be looking at the Day of Doom. On Edom, and so that's where we are in your chart. Now, let me ask you: How many of you have ever heard of Felipe Petit? Felipe Petit. Any? Anybody? Well, here's Felipe Petit doing what he is most famous for. I think there he is. Yes. Now, do you know who Felipe Petit is? He's famous for his high wire above the twin. Towers. In fact, it's in a movie, uh, The Walk, a documentary type movie. Kind of interesting. I read, I watched it a long time ago. Uh, but here, before he became famous for this, he was rehearsing one day in St. Petersburg, Florida, at the Bayfront uh, Auditorium, and he fell about thirty feet. He was practicing onto a concrete floor. And he falls, I guess, face down. He turns over, and here's what he says. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I don't ever fall. But he did fall. And he had the bruises and the pains uh, to tell him that. And yet his pride resisted that. And Petit's painful experience is really an excellent reminder on how our pride can blind us to the reality of its consequences. As much as Petit's pride tried to deny it, he fell, and he fell hard. And if you and I persist in our pride, we will fall hard. Now, how can I be sure of this? Because God has made a promise to the proud. And that's what this lesson is all about. God's promise to the proud is this. And you can say it with me. Pride goes before your fall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, goes, you know, and sometimes we need to personalize that. Pride goes before a fall. No, pride goes before my fall and your fall. How can we be sure? And I gave you these passages because we don't have time to look them all up, but I want you to feel the weight of them. Look at these verses. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty or proud spirit before a fall. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And number one of those seven things is haughty eyes. That proud look that just says, you know, smug. We see it. Problem is we don't often see it in ourselves. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth. I 
hate. Listen, when God hates something, we need to pay attention and think about that. No one, no one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. God doesn't put up with the proud. Whoever, and here's Jesus. These are Proverbs. These are Psalms. Here's Jesus. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Peter says this, For God is opposed, he resists, he fights, he wars against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James, we're studying upstairs, Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now I just want to say what the psalmist says here, Selah. Whenever you see Selah in the Psalms, what are you supposed to do? Stop and think. Pause and reflect. Look at those verses that you have there in your notes. And let the reality. These are warnings to the proud. And yet tucked in these warnings is hope for the humble. Hope for the humble. And so here's what I want you to read. Uh, realize that even though God will always keep his promise to the proud, there is still time to humble ourselves today and that's what i've been praying and that's what i've been asking god to do to myself in my own heart and to do in your heart it is not too late but the promise to the proud so this first uh warning there's four warnings to the proud in this short little book and this is the first of the four warnings that we're going to look at but it's a warning for us as well because just like the edomites that thought nothing could bring them down, just like Petite, who has just hit hard cement 30 feet and says, I never fall. And I got a granny. You know, if you're a high wire guy, you need to be confident, okay? Lack of confidence doesn't work well between the Twin Towers. But the reality, though, is we are prideful and puffed up. But pride always goes. Yahweh. The I am God, the promise keeping God, the God who is called here in verse one. Look at the first few verses. The vision of Obadiah thus says the Lord, small caps, sovereign, ruler over everything. God, all caps, the promise keeping sovereign God has made a promise to the proud and he will keep it. He will keep it. And Obadiah 1 starts out that way. Look, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And the second he says Edom, you want to think of those previous four messages. And I know, you know, you know history. But listen, when he says Edom, he, he's going and looking at that whole history all the way back to Esau. And he says this, we have heard a report from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations saying, arise. Let us go against her for battle. But why? Why this judgment on Edom? Well, verses 2 through 9 that we're looking at today tells us the why. So notice in your Bibles, verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock. In the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. 
If thieves come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not only steal until they had enough? If great grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning, some grapes? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you, allied with you, will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you, though who though they who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will not Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Whoa! There is the day of doom predicted before it happened. As a warning to the proud, let's look this morning. In these nine verses, we see the cause, the certainty, and the completeness of the fall of the proud. So let's look at the cause of Edom's fall, and it can be summed up in two words. A proud heart. I guess those are three. A proud heart. A proud heart. The Lord begins... By getting Edom's attention with the, this word that I've told you again and again is so important to be translated in our English Bibles. Look at verse 2. The first word is, behold. It's there in the Hebrew. Behold. It's an attention getter. But it's also a divine sign, right? When you're driving down the highway and there's construction, there's a warning sign. Men at work. Or I guess now it would say persons at work. But behold is a sign that tells us, caution, God is at work. God is about to do something. And notice, he's saying to Edom, and all of us who are proud of heart, see how small and insignificant I'll make you. You who think you're so big and significant, you, the big, will be made small. The high will be made low. The strong will be made weak. You who in your pride despise others and look down on others, you will now be despised. Now, why do proud hearts deserve such harsh judgment from the Lord God? I would give you two reasons. First of all, pride is the sin of sins. You want to know the mother of all sins? It's pride. In our English language, What's at the center of the word pride? I. What's at the center of the word sin? I. And that just happens in English, but theologically, it's accurate. Pride is at the heart of sin. But here's what we need to realize. Do we, I mean, you just wrote that down. But do we really believe that? Is that how we treat pride in others or even in ourselves? Will God actually destroy an entire nation because it has a proud heart? Yes. And here's our problem. We have too low a view of the sin of pride 
and, or, or, and a too low a view of that and a too low a view of God's holiness. If we would see God in his exalted holiness, then we would see how much an affront pride is to him. Listen again to what God says about it. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination, a curse to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. God doesn't look the other way. These six things, yea, seven, I hate. And the haughty look, I mean, we're just talking about a look. We're not talking about doing anything. We're just talking about looking prideful. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth, I hate. I will not endure the proud of heart. You see, here's the deal. Our proud flesh underestimates the greatness of the sin of pride. Now, think about this. Consider how we often think about pride in relation to other sins. Okay, so let me give you an illustration. Referring to another person, a believer might say something like this. He's a good man, but he's proud. You know, he's a good man, but he's, he's a little proud. And such a remark would hardly cause any reaction in us. And yet, if that same person would say this, he's a good man, but a thief. We would say, whoa, what? What? Say that again? Yeah, he's a good man, but he's a thief. Or she's a good woman, but she's immoral. Listen, immediately our moral values are outraged. And we think, wait, a person can't be good and a thief? A person can't be good and an adulterer or a fornicator. And yet, the sight, in the sight of God, pride is as bad as stealing or immorality or any other sin that you happen to hate in others. It always, it's always interesting to talk with people. And see what sins they hate, what gets them passionate, what gets them fired up. And yet there can be another sin that they grant mercy to and they overlook and they they think, you know, well, we got to think better of people, you know, and all that. But when God sees pride, he says, look, this isn't good. This isn't good. The ultimate proof that pride is the sin of sins is in, found in two things. First of all, pride brought down Satan and his demons. Why it, did this created angel, who more than likely was the worship leader of heaven, why did he sin and fall to the earth and become Satan? The answer, I believe, is found in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And what's interesting, these are both prophecies where Isaiah and Ezekiel are speaking to the world leader of their time. And so Isaiah is speaking of the king of Babylon, and Ezekiel is speaking to the king of Tyre, who are the world-dominating empires. And these kings are the rulers of the world. But behind them is Satan 
and his demons. And so through this prophecy, we are the, the God is speaking through his prophet to the proud world leader and to the demonic prince of the air and the power of this earth that is behind them. And they have the same sin, and it's the sin of pride. So in Isaiah 14, look at verses 12 through 15, and listen to this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. In other words, I will rule over all. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here it is. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, here's the promise to the proud. You will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Now turn over to Ezekiel 28 and listen to the prophecy to the leader of Tyre, the the king of Tyre. Ezekiel 28, look at verse 2. We'll look at verses 2, 6, and 9. Look at verse 2. God is speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, thus says Notice, the Lord God. Lord is in small caps. The sovereign God. God is in all caps. The promise-keeping God of Yahweh. Thus he says, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God's, in the heart of the seas. Yet, you are a man and not God. Although you make your heart like the heart of God. Drop down to verse 6. Therefore, thus says the Lord God again. Because you have made your heart like the heart of God. Verse 9, drop down. Will you still say, I am a God? In the presence of your slayer, though you are a man and not God, in the hands of those who would who wound you. So... The sin for these two men is that they're men and they're saying, I am God. The sin for Satan was that he was a created angel and yet he wanted to be equal to God. And so that's the pride that brought down Satan and his demons. Pride was also the sin that brought down the human race. It's the sin that brought down Adam and his descendants. The original sin in the garden was rooted in pride. Listen to Genesis 3, 5. Here's the Satan tempting. And see, he knows. This proud-hearted, angelic, fallen creature knows how to tempt the pride in the heart of people. For God knows that in the day you eat, Eat, the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Pride, pride to be their own gods. 
deciding what was right and wrong for themselves. No one's going to tell me. God's not going to tell me. The government's not going to tell me. My parents aren't going to tell me. The church isn't going to tell me. The Bible isn't going to tell me. I will decide what is right and wrong. That's what was in the heart of Eve and why she was deceived. And that was in the heart of Adam. And that's why he disobeyed. But what exactly is this sin of sins? It's the sin of sins, but pride is a sin of the heart. Pride is a sin of the heart. And that's what's so insidious about it. And that's why you and I can't eradicate it from our lives because it's in here and it's in us. The root of pride always grows and flows from the heart. Think about Satan's pride, where it was birthed. Isaiah 14, 13, for you have said in your heart, Ezekiel 28, 28, 2, because your heart is lifted up, Ezekiel 28, 5, and your heart is lifted up, Ezekiel 28, 6, because you have made your heart like the heart of God. I mean, it's there, it's there. And look at Obadiah 3, Obadiah 3, what? enslaved this nation, Obadiah 3, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down? In this word, the arrogance of your heart, there in verse 3, the arrogance of your heart, this Hebrew word for arrogance, it describes an attitude of rebellion. A disobedience to God's authority. Listen to Deuteronomy 17.12. It talks about the most hideous sin in the law of God. Deuteronomy 17.12. The man who acts presumptuously. There's that same word. The man who acts arrogantly. The woman who acts proudly by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord, your God, nor to the judge. In other words, here's the great great sin of presumption. Not submitting to the word of God taught by God's representatives. And here's what it says. That man shall die. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Man, this is serious stuff. The arrogance of our heart is an abomination to God. And it's at the root of that sin that says, shakes its fist in the face of God. The problem is we don't ever think we do that. Well, I don't shake my fist at God, but what, what's going on in here? What's going on in here? When I know what God has said and I do otherwise, that's pride. When I say, I don't care what the Bible says, that's pride. When I say, don't confuse me with the facts, that's pride. It's rampant. It's in us. In other words, a lack of submission is always rooted in our pride. So let me give you just a couple descriptions of pride, a proud heart. Pride is living as if there's no God or as if if there is one, I don't need him. And I certainly don't have to obey him. Pride is saying, I can do without God. You know, Bible good, church good, but I can get by without those things. 
Pride is not giving God his rightful place in our hearts and lives. Now, I want to read you a quote. It's a little lengthy. It's from the book, The Art of Being a Big Shot. And it's written by a man uh, by the name of Howard Butt. Unfortunate name for him. But he has great wisdom to say about pride. So listen to this quote. It is my pride that makes me independent of God. It's appealing to me to feel that I am the master of my fate, that I run my own life, call my own shots, go it alone. But that feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I have to get help from other people, and I can't ultimately rely on myself. I'm dependent on God for my next breath, yes, It is dishonest of me to pretend that I'm anything but a man, small, weak, and limited. So living independent of God is self-delusion. It is not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that's at stake when I am conceited I am lying to myself about what I am. I am pretending to be God and not man. And he ends with this. My pride is the idolatrous worship of myself. And that is the national religion of hell. End quote. Howard Butt got it right. So how can you and I know if we have a proud heart? Well, you got to listen, as Edgar Allan Poe said, listen to your telltale heart. Listen to your telltale heart. Here is five characteristics of a proud heart. Number one, self-centeredness. Self-centered. Characterized by I, me, my, mine. Okay? When we catch ourselves that is when we're in trouble. I've already said, what's at the center of pride? I. What's the center of sin? I. In other words, the proud man or woman is an egotist. The egotist is a person who believes that he, if he or she had never been born, everyone in the world would wonder, why? Okay, why weren't you born? When two egotists meet, it's an eye for an eye. Okay, that's the reality. You can always tell an egotist, but you can't tell them much. I, I. So here's the question for you and me. Does I, me, and mine characterize our thoughts and our conversation? And you need help with that? Ask your friend, ask your spouse, ask your coworkers. They will be quick to tell you, okay? If so, you may be listening to the pulse of your proud heart. But there's good news. Good news this morning, and it's this. God's in the business of rescuing us from ourselves. Can I hear an amen? Aren't you glad of that? He rescues us from our proud heart. Secondly, self-willed. The proud heart is self-willed. It not only says, I, it says, I will. And when I read that Isaiah 14 passage, five times, I believe the archangel Satan said, I will, I will, I will, I will, 
I will. I mean, you can just hear the pulsing of the proud heart. But what did Jesus say in the garden? What did Jesus say in the garden to secure our salvation? Not my will, but yours be done. Total opposite. And how did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. What? Your will be done, not mine. It's counter. It's totally counter. Third, the proud heart is self-exalting. I will be like God. I will be like God. Self-exalting. And again, back to that Isaiah, the five I wills. What did he say? I will ascend, exalting myself. I'm down here, but I really deserve to be up here, and I'm going to do it. I exalt my throne above God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. It's all about exalting, getting higher up. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like who? Not just God, the most high God. Now think of that. Think of the hardness and the foolishness. Okay, he's the most high God. And I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be higher than him. I'm going to be. That is the arrogance of it. Edom's self-exaltation is seen in Obadiah 3 and 4. In Obadiah 3 and 4, they not only said these things in their heart, they lived that way. They said, look at that high mountain. Let's go live up there. Look at us. We are on the top of the world. We look down on the other nations. We look up and all we see is the starry skies above us. And of course, he's talking about their capital city of Selah. Uh, which is now known, became known as Petra because someone, the Arabians, came in and conquered the unconquerable, uh, brought low the, the, the exalted Edomites. And remember, it, the canyon was about a mile long and only 15 feet wide. Uh, literally, it was said that Selah was such a stronghold and was so secure and so high and lifted up that a mere dozen men could defend it against a whole army. Who will bring us down? It's amazing. Even how they lived revealed their proud hearts. And what did they say? Who will bring me down? What was the expected answer to that question? No one. And yet God does answer. Look at this. God does answer. Look at verse 4. Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And yet, number 4, the fourth characteristic of a proud heart is self-confident. Self-confident. And you hear it. Who will bring me down? Who will bring me down? Now, you can't help but talk about pride and this kind of self-confidence and not think of boxing legend Muhammad Ali, right? I mean, he was the classic example of the proud heart. And right before his 1971 fight with uh, Joe Frazier, here he is. I can't do a good imitation, but you can't help but hear his voice. There seems to be some confusion We're going to clear this confusion on March 8th. We're going to decide once and for all who is king. 
There's not a man alive who can whoop me. And he jabbed the air half a dozen times with a left, blinding left. I'm too smart. And he taps his head. I'm too pretty. And then he lift up his head like a profile on a butt. Can't you just see? I am the greatest. I am the king. I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I could get licked. I love that one. But what happened? What happened? Ali lost. Okay, he lost. He fell. Listen, remember this. When a person starts singing their own praises, it ends up being a solo. When a person toots their own horn, the pitch is always too high. The horn blowing the loudest is usually the one in the fog. The person who has the right to boast doesn't have to. Why? Others will do it for you. If you're having to tell the world how great you are, then you're not that great. Listen, a gospel-minded person makes much of Jesus, not what they do for Jesus. And there was a great example of that recently in religious news. Listen, we make much of Jesus, not what I have done for him. Paul had much to boast about, and yet here's how Paul boasted. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And then think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's the only person on this planet who had the right to brag, and he never did. And listen to this. When he announced in his hometown the beginning of his ministry, he was able to do it without ever once using the word I. Now, you think about that. I'm in my hometown. I'm here to fulfill the scriptures. I am here to fulfill the scriptures. I will fulfill the scriptures. No, he announces it without ever referring to himself with the word I. Finally, number five, self-deceived. Self-deceived. I am not proud and I will not fall. People, the proud are self-deceived for two reasons. Let me give you two reasons. A false sense of humility due to the deception of the heart. The problem with fat, pride and a false sense of security. So here's two things that happens. One... The reason pride, proud people think they're not proud, they think they're humble. But the problem with thinking you're humble is the most moment you say, I am humble, what have you become? Proud, okay? And then a false sense of security. Look, I am confident in what I can do. So this false sense of humility and security is what leads to, number two, the certainty of the fall. When this is how you live, then it's going to be certain that you're going to fall. So let's look at the certainty of, God, of Edom's fall is found in the will of God. The will of God. Number one, God's will decrees the fall. It will happen. God's word decrees it. Obadiah 2, behold, I will make you small. Verse 4. From there, I will bring you down. Verse 8, will I not on that day? So you see, the will of the proud exalts them, but God's greater will has decreed their fall. Secondly, God's word reveals it. 
God's word reveals it. In Obadiah 1, it says there's a vision. Thus says the Lord. We have heard a report from the Lord. Look at verse 4. Declares the Lord. Look at verse 8. Declares the Lord. Look at verse 18. For the Lord has spoken. God reveals the fall of the proud before it even happens. But also, it is so certain, he reveals it as if it has already happened. So here's the thing. These verses that we read, 2 through 9, they are a prediction of God, of what God will do in the future. And yet they're written in the Hebrew in a way as though they've already happened in the past. Okay? Why? Because when God wills something, it is so certain he can declare it as though it has already happened. It's future, but it's as good as done. Okay? That's the certainty. And then finally, God's war fulfills it. God's war fulfills it. God uses, this is the irony of these verses. God's going to use proud nations to humble Edom, a proud nation. So what does that tell us? Two things. God is sovereign, and yet our choices still matter. God uses the proud to humble the proud, and then you know what he does? He comes back and judges the proud nations for being proud. Yeah, but I thought God used them. Yeah, he did. He uses the proud with his sovereignty. And yet those proud nations are still responsible and accountable to him for their prideful actions. So God's going to use proud Babylon to humble his nation Israel. And then he's going to come back and judge Babylon for their pride. Why? Because God's sovereignty is not equal to human responsibility. God's sovereignty is exalted over human responsibility without eliminating human responsibility. And therefore, we should heed the warning. It's coming. Humble yourself before that. Number three, the completeness of Edom's fall. The completeness. When the proud fall... They fall all the way, and it's going to be a total loss. A total loss. Did I miss a word? Yeah, God's war. No, you're fine. The completeness. It's going to be a total loss. Look at verses 5 through 9. Look at verses 5 through 9. The fall is going to be complete. Even thieves, if a thief breaks into your house, they're not going to take everything. Something's going to be left. When the grape harvesters go through a vineyard, they pick the grapes, but they're always going to miss a few. There's always a few left over. But when God judges the proud, it's going to be a total loss. Nothing left to rebuild. They will be cut off. And you know how this takes place? Three ways in these verses. Three ways. Number one, friends will forsake you. Friends will forsake you. Here's the thing. Proud people have proud friends because birds of a feather flock together. 
Like attracts like. Proud people have proud friends. Proud people take advantage of others. What's going to happen to proud people? Their friends are ultimately going to betray and exploit them and turn on them. Number two, the flesh will fail you. The flesh will fail you. Edom took pride. We're the wisest of the wise, but God brought a circumstance where they weren't smart enough to get their way, uh, think their way out of it. Then they took pride in their strength. Look at our citadel. Look at our strength. No one can bring us down. And yet, their proud confidence, their carnal strength wasn't strong. Here's the thing about pride in yourself. And this is one of the lessons I'll be teaching our teens this week. Is that when you put your proud confidence in your ability, if it's smart, if it's your intellect, guess what? There's always someone what? Smarter. If it's your physical strength, guess what? There's always someone what? Stronger. And if it's your looks, guess what? They decay. Okay, I won't comment on that any farther. Whatever it is about us, and even if you happen to be the smartest, greatest, strongest in all the earth, who's above the earth? God. God. And so your flesh will fail you. I love this. Richard Halverson, he was the former chaplain to the Senate, an evangelical. The strongest men in the world are those who are weak before God. The greatest men are those who are humble before God. The tallest are those who, are, who bend before God. And then finally, the faithfulness of God will flatten you. The faithfulness of God will flatten you. Why is that? Because God always keeps his promises. And what did we say the promise was? Say it with me. Pride comes before your fall. Uh, let's say it together. Pride comes before your fall. And there it is. There it is. But listen, there's hope for the humble. And so let me end with these three points of application. Because basically, if the Spirit has done His work through His Word this morning, and if we have been teachable, then I have something to confess about being proud. And here's what I need to do. Number one, humble yourself before God, before He humbles you. Humble yourself before God, before He humbles you. And there's nothing more humbling than two, confessing your sins to one another. And then third, submit to God and resist the devil. And I've given you, uh, we're in the study of James. Man, James chapter 4 is really the background to this, okay? So let me end with this. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. One of the things that we will be talking about with the teens are really these three things. Humbling ourselves like David was. Confessing our sin like David did. And, and submitting to God like David did and like Saul did not. And so uh, let's apply this as leaders, as parents, as adults. And then let's pray for our teens to take heed to this. Let's pray that when they come back from camp, they see more humble more humility in us as parents and leaders. Amen.
God keeps his promises. Let's be on the receiving end of, 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 of grace instead of judgment. Let's pray. Father, it, it, is, it is humbling to hear this warning. And it is scary to know how self-deceived, self-confident, self-exalting, self-centered we really are. But you in your grace warn us before the fall. Oh Lord, may we take heed, may I take heed and humble ourselves for you resist the proud, but you give grace, grace upon grace to the humble. Grant that grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.